Okay. Hi, everyone. Let's get right into it. Um, actually, first of all, um, show of hands, who here already does eggs? Right. And who, who wants to do it? Okay. Cool. Um, righto. So I think I'll, I'll introduce people one at a time, and if anyone's got a burning question, um, go for it, either during or after that person's t little talk, but we'll save the bulk of this discussion for the end. Um, so we'll start with Falkai Farm. Falkai Farm is Catherine and Luke. They produce pasture-raised chicken and quail eggs nearby here in Finnis on leased land from Nomad Farms. They've been at it for three years and have gone from a measly 100 chooks to a converted caravan to currently 1,300 hens. Here's Kat. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm sure some of you saw our operation the other day. Um, and for those of you that didn't, we've got some photos up here so you can kind of see uh, what we started with. Um, so we, Luke and I have worked in regenerative agriculture for a few years um, before we decided it was time to step out on our own. But when that time came, we didn't really have enough money to consider, even consider buying land and really hardly enough to start a business. So that's why we chose uh, pastured eggs because it's quite easy to get into with not that much money on a small scale and then build it up from there, which is exactly what we did. Um, so, and the other thing is, um, as we were kind of heading towards using someone else's land to grow, to start and grow our business, pastured eggs is something that you can you can sell to a landowner, maybe more than another stacked enterprise, because there's a lot of benefits for someone that's grazing to add chickens onto their property with the manure and the the sanitisation of the pastures and the scratching around and everything like that, just adding another another animal system in, maybe more so than pigs, which can do damage. Um, chickens are, you know, they're almost all good. Um, so we took our time and spoke to a few people before we decided on Nomad to collaborate with. Tom and Verity down the back there are very open and we're super excited about the prospect. Um, we talked a hell of a lot before we really got stuck into it. We sometimes joke that we kind of dated a bit before we got serious. I worked with Tom one day a week to kind of see what he was all about and the way that he worked and, um, yeah, just kind of checked him out real well because we've, we've been in situations where it perhaps didn't work quite so well. You've got to find a really good fit if you're going to stack an enterprise on someone else's business. Um, it's worked really well with... You know, we're all really happy with how it's going. Um, there's way more benefits than what we could have foreseen at the start. We like each other. Well, I like them a lot. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they hate us. <laughs> um, and Luke works for Nomad full-time um, now, which is great for both businesses. And there's a lot of integration between the businesses, like sharing equipment, sharing um, knowledge and um, just kind of problem-solving, having an extra head or two around. And we also are able to give each other holidays um, so they can go away for a while and Luke will look after things and I'll kind of support him and um, we can go away and they can look after the on-farm stuff, although we're still looking for a solution for someone to help us for egg cleaning because that's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Um, yeah, so we started with 100 hens in this little caravan here that we picked up for a bargain. It was 200 bucks or something like that. I can't even remember now. Um, and then we very quickly, within um, eight to nine months, we um, switched to a larger caravan there. Um, so that one had 400 chickens in it. Um, and then we sold the smaller caravan over to Nomad and they're using it for their summer lads. So um, it's nice to see that having another use once we suddenly realised that like, there was just no chance we could make money from 100, 150 hens. Um, another year on, we built our own trailer from scratch. You can see that's us putting in the nest box there, which was very nerve-wracking. Um, and that's it from the outside. We got given cladding by, from Luke's uncle, but um, the rest of it's pretty schmick inside, if I do say so myself. Um, so that, that holds 550 birds, and then we almost immediately 
built another one for another 550 birds. So now we're at this, a scale that we'd like to stay at for at least the next year. It's kind of a base level of 1,000 birds, but right now I think we've got 1,300. We're just moving on some old ones. Um, so that's two really functional trailers with rollaway nest boxes um, and the older red, the big red um, caravan you saw there as a change of a van for when we bring new hens in so that we can maintain a continuity of supply. Um, the numbers look quite good for the coming year. So far, I think I've been earning about 4 to $5 an hour for what I've been doing. I just try to keep a rough idea on it. Four to five, not $45. <laughs> not $45 an hour. Um, but this next year, I'll be hoping to get that closer to $20 and we will hope to make a, a small profit in the coming year. But bearing that in mind to really we need to invest in an egg cleaning machine and a place to put the egg cleaning machine because we currently pack and clean in a spare room in our house and there's no room for an egg cleaning machine. So we need to build something to put it in with a cool room and egg carton storage so we can start to buy in bulk all these kind of economies of scale coming in. Um, so we're going to need to invest in that. Um, so I guess that will knock around the profit that we otherwise would have seen. Um, in additional enterprises that we run, about a year ago we decided to trial pastured quail eggs. Uh, we had a really good response and Nomad purchases some of the eggs um, to hatch as quail wheat. So that's a bit exciting for us just to, to do something a bit different. And we're also trialling selling off our oldest hens as spent hens or brazing birds. And that's gone really well so far. And it's great to see them go to an, uh, a good use in being eaten. Um, so we started really, really slowly and just kind of testing the water as we went. It was, it was completely an inefficient way to start and to grow. But, and, and we wasted heaps of time in the early years building, you know, a caravan that we use for not very long. Um, but it's given us a chance to kind of learn and make mistakes on a small scale. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty low risk if you make all your mistakes really tiny. Um, and it gave us the opportunity to build our skills and our confidence in running a business because we've, like, we've never run a business before. So um, we kind of I learned how to keep track of the books when you know, there's not much money coming in or going out. And now that it's a bit of a thing, I'm, I'm all over it. Or marketing, like it's if we'd started with, say, 500 hens on day one, I probably would have given up in about a week because... Selling is like my worst nightmare and sends me into a total tailspin. Um, but now we've got a bit of a base behind us and people start coming to us. So it's not such a big deal. Like when we've just bought on another 500 hens, it's not such a big deal as if we'd just started with 500. Um, so our focus is not necessarily on growth, but on trying to make the most of all the opportunities, opportunities that we have at the size that we are before we grow again. Um, for example, we have to pay our accreditation and have the order to come once a year and we may as well be doing quail eggs while we're doing chicken eggs because it doesn't really add anything to that. Um, and we've got all of the equipment anyway for kind of processing eggs um, and selling the braising hens makes the most of what would otherwise be a waste stream. And I guess... We focus on not not. You can kind of look at you look at your business as how big do we need to be to achieve what we want to achieve. In our case, is to make a good living, have a happy business that's fun to or that's enjoyable to to work in, um, and having a happy life for us and whatever you know small creatures come along in the future. Um, so not focusing on how big we need to be to achieve those things, but how small can we be and achieve those things. Um, we certainly haven't nailed it yet, not by a long shot, but, um, yeah, we're working on it and we're a lot closer than what we were. Um, I guess the next year we'll, we'll be probably trying to hire someone to help us out for a couple of afternoons a week with egg cleaning and then they will should hopefully know what they're about so we can take a holiday. 
That might be nice. <laughs> oh, um, I think that's me done. I had some more photos that I was going to show you and I forgot about them. That's our dogs, Bernie and Murray. Um, that's another one I had finished trailers. Just some more pictures of them. Oh, that's, that's the quail and Luke. That's the quail eggs. Oh, well, it stopped working. So that's me done then. Okay, um, that will, we've got a couple of minutes scheduled in case anyone has a direct question for Kat. No? You were quick. Okay, um, next we've got uh, Riverside Farm. So Kane beside me and Richard, they produce pastured eggs, organically grown garlic and egg pasta at Riverside Farm in Lindock is about 60 k's north of Adelaide in the Barossa Valley. They started with 600 hens 18 months ago. They currently run uh, 1,800 hens. So it started with 600, right? Yeah, now 1,800. Um, and are still learning and growing their business. So here's Kane. Hello. We're not really going to use the PowerPoint. I'd never been to a deep winter and I didn't really know what, um, I had no expectations and I'm a public servant in my other life. And so I pulled together this like PowerPoint thinking I was in the office environment, you know, presenting at a conference. So just ignore it, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, so, my name, <laughs> so my name is Kane um, and Richard is my other half, and we, are, we produce eggs at Riverside Farm in Lindock. Um, so the property that we produce uh, our eggs on is uh, Richard's family's farm, um, and um, Richard's the sixth generation to be on the property, um, use, you know, farming the land at, at Riverside. Um, so traditionally, the farm is um, prime lamb, wool, and it's share crop, we'll share farms for cereal crops. And um, I suppose our enterprise and also um, my sister, uh, Richard's sister's enterprise, which is a sheep dairy, is, is around diversifying the farm to kind of bring it into a more responsible way of farming starters. And, and also it's a part of the succession planning because um, uh, we need a way to have, you know, all have businesses on, on the farm. And so about 18 months ago, Richard and I were kind of bouncing around ideas and um, we'd just seen, I'd seen... Um, uh, Tom on landline and was talking about chickens and talking about eggs. I thought about eggs and we became a, totally obsessed with the idea of having pastured uh, eggs and you know, we would have been absolutely horrible to be around at the time for about six months. We would, all we could talk about were chickens and how we're rotating and how great it is and you know R Richard's family who are conventional farmers you know were just like these guys are crazy you know like what do you mean you have chickens running everywhere. Um, and so, you know, for us, uh, being the person I am, um, we were, and Richard, the person he is, we were quite meticulous with our, our planning, and we went through quite a thorough planning um, process prior to kind of going along um, to starting. And so, basically, look, we wrote a quite a thorough business plan and um, did our projections and, and things like that. And, um, we decided from the start that we needed at least 2,000 hens to create the life that we wanted to create. And I suppose the life that we wanted for ourselves was one whereby um, we could build a home and we could support both of us, but also support um, somebody uh, coming in and or us employing somebody. And for us, for me, it's, you know, I'm I'm really keen for us to kind of employ local Aboriginal people because I'm Aboriginal myself. Um, and, and that also means we can have a holiday every now and then, you know. So um, that, that, that 2,000 number was where we had aimed from, for the, from the start and um, we kind of entered our business with that kind of roughly four caravans of 600 a caravan. That was us. And so we started with 600, which was pretty crazy. Actually, we had... How am I doing that? Um, we weren't ready, so we didn't use portable electric fences. We decided to, no, no, it's okay. 
we decided to um, just use the boundary fences of the property, um, which really hadn't been used for like 50 odd years or touched for 50 odd years. And we had soon had like chickens walking into wineries and <laughs> over public roads. And we thought, oh God. So look, in terms of our planning, our income, we, we had, we'd, we'd expected to, the money side of things, the income side of things was what we had expected. The expenses was absolutely not. So, you know, within three months, we had $10,000 in fencing straight up, straight up done because we decided that the portable um, fencing wasn't the direction we'd go in and we would, we would keep the caravans in kind of 48 paddocks and move them around. Um, the, how we started our business is we accessed uh, finance for the, um, I'm a public servant, Richard has a hospitality background and um, has a marketing degree. So I followed your adventures building that caravan and I thought, I wish that we, had, we, we could do that, but you know, we, we didn't. So we, had, we, had, we bought caravans and we used a mixture of grant funding and um, like bank finance essentially to, to fund that capital, expen the, the, the capital expenditure. Um, what else did we talk about? You know, in terms of, of our life, we are, our business is buoyant um, and I still, I still essentially work to, um, to pay for our living. The business pays for itself at the moment um, and we, we've invested everything we've had back into the business. So in, initially when we started, we were in a six by three meter shed in the paddock with a generator and a water point outside. So that's how, that's our egg packing like facility, a room. And when we, when we got our new flock of, you know, coming in, we just thought we can't, we can't fit here. And we, you know, we're saving every cent basically reinvest in the business. And that will stay like that again, I think for the next 12 months. Um, you know, we just, as we grow, we think we need new this and a bigger machine there. But, but also that's a curse, you know, that's a curse because for me, I have a brain that I see a bit of money in the bank and I think, oh, I can go and do this. When that, that, that might not earn me more money, when, you know, I might not get the return on my investment. Um, so, you know, we've, we've pretty heavily invested back into that. So we now have a large shed, um, we have a cool room. Um, we also, um, instead of cleaning our eggs, we, wanted, we, try, we handed a lot to family, but there's only so many eggs family can take. Um, even though they're fantastic eggs, my mom's like cooking quiches for everyone in her family. And um, so we, we, I, we, we wondered how can we take a product that has a shelf life of a few weeks and give it a shelf life of you know, a couple months. And so we bought a commercial pasta machine. So we have a large pasta machine. We're in the process of building a pasta room, which is a whole nother enterprise on its own, you know, like, um, so the eggs that we don't, that don't go off to the market, we put into a, like a, a fresh pasta and then that pasta's sold either fresh or dried um, on shelves. Um, we also grow garlic. Um, not too sure. So we, we, how we staggered our growth is we had one caravan of 600 and we replaced, we doubled the size of each flock when we replaced it. So we had one caravan of 600 when it was time to replace those, those hens, we replaced it with a flock of 1200. So every six months, we essentially, the first six months we doubled in size, the second six months we increased by 50% and the next six months we'll increase by another 25% until we're sitting at around, you know, tw uh, 2,400 birds. Um, so I use a lot of spreadsheets in, in planning my scaling. So um, this is something I stole from the internet and I kind of fiddled with it to kind of make it more relevant. So, you know, we can work with what we know. We know, we know how much feed costs. We, there's, there's data around how, many, uh, how much birds consume, like the consumption rate. We know what the production rates are, and I've been very conservative in, in you know, our figures, and then we can calculate from that um, how many eggs we're producing, how many dozen of those eggs we're producing, um, and then from that we can also calculate what our packaging requirements are, and then that's, that's how we kind of managed our scale, and um, you know, that's how we knew that we can order two pallets worth of packaging and it will last us X amount of time, and we kind of put that all into our planning. One thing that this didn't account for is the sizing of the eggs. So, you know, 
you get all different sizes of eggs. And so this isn't reflected in, in, in this kind of planning. Um, and I don't know how you would. I, I think, you know, we really do need to do a study around um, what, what percentage of eggs we get at, at what size. And, you know, that takes time and we're pretty time poor. Um, so that's something we will work on in the future. Is that time, is that time up? Oh my God. Ah, that would be great. Oh wow. I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a, I write reports in my other life and deal with data and that is just like, I love data. Like, I love that. Yeah. Um, thank you. And so from that information, I plugged basically into a three-year projection. So we started, when I mean, I've got three-year projections for our, our business, really. Um, you can see kind of up the top is around revenue, and then we have, which is eggs and garlic, and we'll add in pasta, obviously, when this gets updated. I've, I've, I've left most of the numbers in there. The, expend, the expenses is where we really kind of underestimated everything, like petrol, um, we made the decision that the business will pay for all of our petrol. It's crazy. We delivered twice, a, you know, some of the lessons, we delivered twice a week um, to the city. And one of those deliveries might be delivering four boxes. And we were so, we were so worried about losing customers that we didn't want to say, no, we're going to just deliver on Fridays. Um, but really, it was costing us money to keep a customer, like, you know, and making those hard decisions. And, you know, when, when we decide on a price, like sticking with that price and, you know, grain prices went up and we... We put our eggs egg prices up just a very little bit, and um, having to to stick with that those lessons, I suppose. In when we have an amazing product and we work really hard for the product, I haven't calculated how much I get per hour because I think I pay I pay to have a business at the moment. I know that's an exercise. I think I, I might do that in three years or something. But, um, you know, I don't know. So there's a, a kind of few hard lessons, you know, lessons around how do we manage um, our flocks during summertime and, you know, how can we ensure that we're doing the best thing by our animals? And unfortunately, you know, sometimes, you know, this summer that we've just had was absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, we had a few losses and it was a devastating day um, personally for us, you know, to see, one, these helpless birds and two, thinking, you know, we, we just need to be absolutely better you know, on the day and, and fill our toolbox up with more tools. And so these are the lessons that I, weren't, I wasn't really expecting, you know, when we went into this. Um, but yeah, look, there's a whole bunch more and I got a bit nervous and I was thrown by my very corporate looking slideshow, so I'm really sorry. I'll leave it there and answer any questions if you have. Uh, some photos, you know, so, so we have the chicken trailers here and here's our hens during winter, so they're looking like fat and happy. Oh, and don't know what's happening here. I'm always pressing on. The reason we went with Aussie Feeders is they're also an Aboriginal-owned yeah. business, and so um, one, we, we know that if anything, they're 10 kilometers, well, 15 kilometers, kind of, or 30 kilometers down the road, we know if when anything needs fixing, he will come out, and you know, it was a significant investment and he's always there for us. And, you know, if something goes wrong, we're not electricians, he'll send someone out and it's done, sorted. Um, and everything they use is kind of sourced in Australia. And, and the quality, like when our first two arrived, I was just like, oh my God, there's so much involved. And you guys are building it. I was like, oh, there's so much engineering and kind of work goes into it. Like really, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. That's our dog, Atlas, one of the dogs, so. Okay, cool. Uh, any direct questions for Kane? Uh, yes? Yeah, so we, we go through um, our only, so as a part of our setup, we bought a silo, and so we get our feed delivered into the silo. And the only company that we know of will do that is Darky Mills. Um, so we get a, a, a grain that's cracked but it has to be put into a pellet. Um, I think one of the future, because the property is a cropping property that is currently shared farm, we are currently looking at ways that we need to get a nutritionist in, we need to design our own feed, and we need to look at ways that we can grow it on the farm to, to save one, to save money, to keep that money on the farm. 
Um, also, we want to be in control of that process. And, um, and also, because the quality has just been crap, you know, in the last six or seven months, and that's just because, you know, just the way it is. Um, and feed prices have gone up. And, you know, our feed bill next year is going to be kind of, when you've got 2,400 hens, the feed bill's huge. Um, and if we can keep that money on site, and it means actually contracting family to, to grow that, that'd be great, really. And they, they can't deliver it into the... We would go with that option, but we can't get into the silo. Um, yeah, I think mean, there's just a problem with the quality that we just become worse and worse. Like, there's just so much junk and there's just shit. Yeah, so that's... And they're just charging so much for it, and it's just very little effort on their part, I think, to actually improve the quality of their feed. Yeah. So we want to take control of that, but that's a project, you know. Uh, there was another question at the back here. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we might go to Liam. I'll, um... I'll give you an introduction. Okay, um, Liam Brokenshire grew up in northeast Victoria and met his wife Sarah on the ski fields in Falls Creek. She's from a farming family in the southeast of South Australia. They knew early on they wanted to move back to the farm and be the succession for the business. The farm, Glen Huntley, is 20k south of Mount Gambier. Liam, Sarah, and her mother Deb now manage the fourth generation family farm traditionally running sheep and cattle. Three years ago, they added a pastured egg enterprise to complement the regenerative farming practices in use for 20 years. The Splendid Egg was born in 2016 with great excitement in being the first pastured egg producer in the region. They soon realized they weren't the only ones with this idea as another three producers hit the shelf in quick succession. A race to the bottom was imminent after meeting with the other producers, they raised the idea of forming a collective. Two out of the three agreed, and the SMG Collective was formed, a company that buys pastured eggs from producers, packages them under the Splendid Egg brand, and sells them throughout the Limestone Coast and Adelaide. These, these are just some slides, I guess, of um, the progression of what we did on farm. And as Luke mentioned in the introduction, uh, we did start about three, three and a half years ago. And um, we are traditionally uh, uh, sheep and cattle um, graziers. And when we moved back to the farm, we were looking for something that was going to complement what we were already doing. Uh, and we couldn't carry any more cattle or sheep. Uh, and this was a, an option for us to get involved directly on farm and um, do something at the time that was going to be fun and challenging and different and that's exactly what it has been. So, um, yeah, we uh, essentially uh, went into it uh, and uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to have, I guess, the farm as a financer to be able to uh, allow us to buy our first chicken caravan. Uh, we, we bought that and it holds 450 hens. Um, and as you move into that, you have to understand that you, once you create a, a brand and, and establish a customer base, that, that you, know, you need to be able to support those um, going through. There isn't a period of time where you can just drop off your eggs and then um, wait to change over a batch of hens. So you need a second caravan to move in on top of that so that you can continually cycle through. Uh, this was part of our plan. From the beginning, uh, we had an intention from the beginning that we would try and get to about three, um, 2,000 uh, hens uh, as our business. But as in the introduction, it said that we put our eggs on the shelf after much, you know, thought and care and 
spreadsheets and, and going through everything and finally getting the, the product on the shelf and then only to find out and thinking that we were the only people, I guess, within our Mount Gambier region. We had uh, another family, Keith, two and a half hours away, that, was, uh, that had been doing pastured free-range eggs for uh, about 12 months uh, before that, or 18 months before that. Um, and, yeah, but then we hit the shelf and... There was another, two weeks later, there was another producer there. And then two weeks after that, there was another producer there. Uh, and we felt like it was going to be raced to the bottom. So what we, what we envisaged was <clears throat> this uh, problem that it was the person with the deepest pockets was going to be the one that stayed on the shelf. Uh, and we'd invested a lot of time, energy and money into getting to where we were. So we um, were all at a um, grant um, meeting trying to find money for our business uh, so that we could grow that business. And all the producers were there. So it was something that I'd been thinking about for a while, that we could maybe form a collective or a cooperative of some description and join forces and share the risk um, and share the reward uh, in all of those things. Um, so that's exactly what we did. Uh, I suggested it to... Uh, to everyone and of the people that were there, uh, we had another two producers that were interested in doing that and saw the benefit of it. Uh, and this, I guess, going with the theme of scale and, scale and viability allowed us to grow our business much more quickly, uh, share the risk, and uh, it allowed us to all invest in uh, machinery, uh, which would have been much more out of our price range and something that we wouldn't have looked to do until the business was able to support that, but we were able to invest in it much more quickly. Um, and I don't know where we are, but um, you can see that we, we built a shed on the premises. Uh, we, that was a, we, as we, when we first started, that we thought that's, that's all we're ever going to need. It was six metres by nine metres. We built a cool room in there. And we thought this is huge. This is going to be fantastic. And then within the first eight months, we felt like we'd outgrown it. And um, we went from having our business of, uh, well, nearly a 1,000 hens um, when we sort of first moved into it. And then by merging and joining forces, we uh, all of a sudden went to uh, 4,000 hens. So it was a, a huge increase in production. Um, and uh, we've steadily grown with supply and demand um, to now carrying... Uh, well, we did get to 8,000 hens um, and um, we've recently um, had some changes within the business structure which has brought us down to about 5,500, 6,000 hens. So um, the proposal that I put to the, um, the other producers was that we form an, another company. Uh, that company is now, it's, well, the company name is SMG Collective, but it's essentially the Splendid Egg. And we basically separated the, um, the production of eggs from the, um, the sales, marketing, distribution, and packaging um, part of that. And that, so the Splendid Egg is that company that purchases eggs from producers. So um, that company, the Splendid Egg, purchase, purchases eggs from me, a producer, it purchases eggs from one of the other owners of the Splendid Egg. Uh, it's a partnership. And it also buys eggs from an independent producer. Uh, what the great story, I guess, about the independent producer is we were, uh, it's a family, another family grazing farm. Uh, they were looking, uh, a son and his wife, young family, looking to move back onto the farm. Um, the farm, you know, possibly couldn't support um, more than, you know, one point whatever units, not a full two unit. Um, and then by them being able to invest in, in pastured free-range eggs and be able to sell them to us, that's allowed their family, uh, the, the young family to come back onto the farm, which is great for the father because he's now got his son working with him. And so it's, uh, it's a, I guess, a, a nice story in that sense. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't know, that's pretty much it, really. That's our story. Uh, if you've got any questions, I'd want to... Um, yeah, well, we've actually been, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been through three evolutions of the, of the labelling. I mean, when we first started, 
you know, we were buying a thousand units at a time and that was huge and we were sticking, you know, we were paying top dollar for uh, a blank egg carton and then we were paying, you know, um, for stickers that we were hand, you know, we'd, that was our job in the evening time. You sit down and you, you put stickers on egg cartons and we had a sticker on the outside and we had a little sticker on the inside as a, as a blur, but there's an added expense there. So I think at the end of it, our egg carton with a sticker on it, not including labour, was costing us about 80 cents. Um, so nearly a dollar. So when you've got a product that you're trying to put on the shelf at a competitive price, then you really, the, the margins are, are pretty minimal. So, but you're right, it is all about telling the story uh, and educating consumers. Uh, so uh, I've done that. Uh, we, we've done that with uh, a website, a Facebook page, um, all the social sort of stuff. Um, we have done that by um, standing in supermarkets, uh, talking to people, um, handing out flyers, um, cooking demonstrations uh, at various fruit and veg places. Um, and I guess, you know, sort of preaching to the converted here about the quality of, you know, or the, the benefits of eating pastured and quality produce. But uh, I guess this is just another uh, opportunity to reinforce um, the benefits of that um, and the benefits of regenerative farming because that's for, honestly for, for where it started for me was actually not about creating an, an egg business it was actually um, how can we improve our soil we, we live quite close to the coast we're about four kilometers from the coast 20 minute uh, 20 k's south of Mount Gambier and our soils uh, can be quite sandy and thin and we've got you know, only a small layer of topsoil and a lot of sort of uh, reefy sort of country as well. So this was, um, for me, it was actually about how we can improve our soil, how we can improve our pasture, how we can feed our, um, our other, um, uh, feed our animals uh, a better product and in turn have a better nutritious um, meat product for us. Um, and that's really where it started for me. So, and that's the story that we're trying to tell. Hey, Lucy. Yeah, there's a slide in, in there oh, um, that I don't know if you saw it with the grass. Did you see the, it was a, anyway, there's, uh, it's been amazing. Um, obviously, you, you're putting a lot of nitrogen down, they're sanitizing the, the, the so we graze, we'll rotationally graze. So we, we'll graze either the sheep or the cattle through the paddock first. Um, they graze the grass down nicely. Um, we try not to graze too much of the grass away, so obviously you're leaving enough of a, a, a solar panel for it to come back more quickly. Um, we bring the chickens in, and uh, or we, we rest it for a week or two and let dung beetles like go through and do the, their thing. We don't want to try and bring chickens in too quickly, but then we'll bring the chickens in afterwards and they essentially sanitise and fertilise the paddock. Um, <clears throat> we move the caravans on the, uh, every uh, twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday, um, is that is that job, uh, and we're doing that because we want to make sure that we're getting them around the property as much as possible. Uh, also, they do a lot of crapping at night, and so you get a lot of build-up of uh, manure underneath the caravan, so you can end up with sort of a nitrogen burn on the ground, so you want to keep moving them um, as regularly as possible. But the response that you get is really noticeable um, through the springtime or when, you know, after the summer you get a, a good rain event and then all of a sudden where the caravans have been, the paddocks that the caravans have been, you see all these little rectangles all shoot up really quickly and the, the surrounding area, um, sort of like a 50 metre radius around those caravans is, is more heavily impacted and obviously the further away you go, I mean, chickens will roam for, you know, I've seen them kilometres away from where they live. Um, but they all do seem to tend to come back. But, um, yeah, the response has been great. And uh, not in the first year. The first year, when you move the, um, the sheep or the cattle back in, they don't like the smell of the, the nitrogen quite so much, so they do tend to sort of... They'll, they'll go across and eat it, but they'll eat around it um, a bit. Um, but by the second year, um, um, or by the time... But, depending on how much rain you've had and how much it actually gets into the ground and all that kind of stuff, then, yeah, the animals will come flying into it and smash it, and they love it, so it's good. Um. Any other questions? Yeah. So, the three of you, obviously come from different areas, so leading down high rainfall, kind of more rain grass, you guys have been having fitness, so... Yeah. 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 Yeah.
chickens with a free ride, ride around and choose what they want. When you've got more grain grass below it, do you find that your eggs are better quality while they're on grain feed? Does that help you Uh, so nobody dies in their feeds. Uh, 
designed for only purchase for the purse and the nesting boxes are on post uh, extremities for the clients. Yeah. It's a lot more space for chickens and stuff. Yes, I guess it's all 